0: greetings go I think that hey thank you guys for being here it's good to have you we had our first uh, nine o'clock service this morning and it went really well and had we not had that we'd have been sitting on each other's laps for sure so uh, so I am so glad uh, uh, we had those and again it's the same service so those at nine will and the same thing is, uh, that will happen at ten thirty and um, uh, so I guess the nine o 'clock is kind of like a practice run though for preaching, so anyway hopefully you 'll get all the bugs out you know all the people that come up on what do you mean by that and you know and, and uh, I want you to know that uh as we as we get into uh, this particular book of the Bible as we carry on our series um, we 're going to be uh, we 're going to be walking through the verses as we always do in our series, and so this is not, there's not, you know, a lot of notes popping up. It's a lot of scripture. There's some very important aspects of scripture. Sometimes you go through a sermon, a message, and there's a lot of application takeaway. Sometimes there's a lot of information retention. You know, like Pastor Jack always says, there's a balance of art and science. You know, I mean, we're not just teaching, we're preaching. There's a great big balance there. And then, but you always, always, and as as we're reminded, when you see, when you when you talk to Pastor Jack about as our lead pastor for some of you who are visiting you know um, what he what he guides us through is this is the fact that the scripture stands and the scripture is what's remembered you know what don 't want you really leaving necessarily with a notebook full of oh that's a that's a cool comment or that's a cool thought I want you leave me with the idea that this isn't a very this is a very powerful verse, and this verse is made more clear now so before we jump in that, you probably saw that uh, in uh, in and uh, Josh mentioned the, um, which by the way, it's his birthday today. So just letting you know, where is he? Is he still in here? No, he's teaching. we got a class running right now, a Sunday school class. So he's in there teaching. So it's his birthday, so guys, you know what to do. And then uh, ladies, just give a big hug. And so uh, we, um, uh, he talked about the, the tour of Tampa a little bit. let you know a little bit about that in case you're wondering what on earth are we doing as a church. You know, we're having a tours of Tampa. Give you an idea where that came from. And the reason and the philosophy behind it, I had an intern at the former church I was at. And he uh, he made a comment one time. He said, oh, I hate Tampa. You know, it's nothing but Starbucks and, you know, shopping malls. And you, you, talk, to, you talk to this Tampa native. You don't talk about my mama, my dog, and my town. You know, don't do that. I'm like, no. you are... And So I took him around. I took a few other people around on a, on a tour of Tampa that I knew. And um, and so the whole time, Shale thinks I'm going to be up there with a microphone in this bus saying, look to your right, you'll see, and look to your left. He's asked me that. He goes, I, he just keeps laughing about it. I said, it's not that kind of tour. So over the years, though, I've taken almost a 1,000 people on these tours. And so, you know, just people are like, hey, I want to go, I want to go, somewhere go. And, and so what happened, when I was younger, when I was a kid, I hung around a lot of older folks, and I just wanted to sponge their stories out of, and get the stories out of them. I was involved in a lot of... Um, rehab as some old cemeteries, I know this is really enthralling you, right you know, but I mean, but the stories that I learned that passed down through oral tradition and oral stories that i can 't wait to share that aren 't written down, kind of the families that happened here, some personal experiences I had with um, with with just some preservation and that so it's a real takeaway we're going to go to places that nobody really kind of goes to we'll stop in three different areas it's a walking thing but if you are not great at walking understand i'm going to be prepared for you there'll be areas you can relax and we'll catch up with you and and so you know we'll always accommodate and we're a church too we brought the price down as best we can by renting a pass a full passenger bus and even lunch but if hey we're a church if you are like i want to go i want somebody to go with me you know We're going to make that happen. You'll never be denied something here because of a cost to it. You just need to know that. So you just, there are people in here who will help. Don't worry about that. Um, But the purpose for this is, you know how hard it is to get sometimes your neighbors, your friends to a church. The purpose of this is, you're bringing them to the church. It's just going to be on a bus. It's going to be around us. A lot of that is going to be gathering people together and just getting to know each other. Number, you get to build community because we're around each other for five hours and we'll stop at Bo's ice cream on the way back, you know, so if there's not a smile on your face, you will have one. And, and secondly, it's not only a chance for community, it's also, it's just another way. I've been able to say to someone, "Hey, I know you. You know you're new to town, or maybe you have grown up here. You want to, you want to know a little more of the thread, the DNA, of the city. Come on, that's what that's for." So anyway, I'm hoping we we fill the bus. If not, my my project has died on the vine here, and I'm no longer the tour of Tampa guy. But uh, but anyway, we'll give it a shot. So I hope you can hope you can make it. Selfishly, because I like to hang out with you guys a lot. So hey, let me pray real quick for me. Get my mind clear, and we'll jump in this. Lord Jesus, thanks for today. Help help me, Lord. Speak through me. I pray. God any distractions we may have that they be set aside Father we, we pray right now for, um, for Jack who's in the Philippines and winding down a conference. Father we think of Carrie Anderson recovering from that accident and still in very critical condition but having seen incredibly optimistic signs as of late but cautiously we are still praying for a miracle there. God we miss our buddy we love him and selfishly, we're just praying with what we have and all we have in the God who has everything. Lord, uh, we're grateful for this church, for all our inadequacies, for all the giftings. Father, may we never fall behind or go ahead of what you call us to do. Speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so. Book of John, chapter 1, this is our third week in this series, and we took a break during Easter, and thank you all for an incredible job at Easter. Preachers cannot wait for Easter, right? Church gets excited about Easter, because you saw what we had. Easter is incredible, but quite frankly, if you're shepherding pastors, kind of like we are, we're excited about the week after Easter, because you get back to normality, you get back to doing life together, and so you get back to you know, be able to spend more time with you. And so um, we're grateful for some of you who may have come Easter. And and I know at 9 o'clock we had quite a few who came Easter and found us uh, today. And that was really neat. We're grateful for you. Uh, So we are in a third week of this series. We're still in chapter 1. We're walking through a story here particularly today on John. John the Baptist, not John who wrote the book. Two different guys. John the Baptist, by Jesus' own description, is... Are you ready for this? One of the, the greatest man that ever lived. Jesus would say, "This guy is just the greatest man that ever lived." What a compliment! What a, wow, that's respect. Not just um, the most intelligent, the wealthiest. I mean, you think about it. You go back and look at all, all the patriarchs of the Bible. You go back and you start looking at Moses and Abraham. You start looking at all the different characters. The greatest guy that ever lived. Who was this man? John the Baptist was a guy who was brought up um, in the wilderness. This was a man who was born. This is critical to think about. And you'll, see, you'll see why later. He was born, if you want to know his age, he was born six months before Jesus was born. So he was born six months before Jesus. That'll There's an important factor of that in just a little bit. His parents weren't weren't supposed to have children. See in uh, the other synoptic gospels, and it's what we call the other gospels. Uh, Luke chapter 1 mentions this, and, and it, it says that his mother wasn't able to have a kid. And then, you know, Would now, by miraculous uh, abilities from God, be able to have a kid, and John the Baptist came out. And John the Baptist, raised in the Judean desert, raised on locusts. We see, it says locusts and honey. You kind of think, well, the locusts sound kind of gross, but the honey's not so bad. But if you are a, we did not have all the beekeeping, uh, the beehive protection uh, of collecting bees that you have now. Uh, this this man would have had to go into a very raw area and get the comb and that kind of thing. So he just kind of given the description of the guy lived off the land. He dressed off the land too. He wore camel hair and all other kind of a, uh, um, animal skins. So um, I was talking with Jeff earlier in the other service that I was I was taught by a guy named Doctor Enns in one of my classes. Who's a you know knows a lot of scripture and. He was mentored by a guy named Dr. Pentecost. And it's a school that, uh, that Jeff, Pastor, um, um, Jeff uh, went to at um, Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, we're very quick to always give you when it's commentary. Like, this is not God's word, but it kind of makes sense. They believe he dressed this way and acted this way and lived this way. Not because he was some like, you know, early version of a hippie that wanted to live off the land. He did this to disassociate himself from the established religion of the day. The established religion looked a certain way, acted a certain way, and he went another way. So when he was going to introduce the Messiah, Christ, it would not look as if it was coming through this institutional religion. He's basically, I mean, he's, he's this point where we're picking up is drawing crowds of thousands of people. So people are coming to hear, who is this guy screaming these messages, dressed the way he's dressed, looking the way he's looked. People are gathered in the religious community in Jerusalem. Here's what's going on. And they're about to send a party to investigate what's happening. So look with me at chapter one of verse, uh, or chapter one of John, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So go back with me in verse 19, and let's break this down, and we'll walk through, so we grab these verses. First of all, what's amazing is God has given all of us the ability to not only retain, but understand scripture, right? So wherever we're walking through this, what I'm doing is just giving you a little bit extra research, a little bit extra commentary that I've dug into, but let's be clear, very clear, the greatest commentary, the greatest insight you can get on scripture is through the Holy Spirit so I just want you to know that so as we're breaking some of this down we, um, there's a reason I want to break some of these words down because for me I'm reading this and asking questions so in this is the testimony of John when the Jews what do you I mean by that when the Jews over 70 times John writes in here the Jews what does he mean by that 70 times in the book of John is written the Jews he's not profiling them ethnically not racially, whenever you see the term the Jews throughout the book of John, it says and it stands for this the enemy of who Christ is the the, the enemies of those who are are basically saying we we don't trust this Messiah and so John is saying constantly through here when he says the Jews, the Jews, he's referring to this establishment, the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him so Jerusalem is the, the religious capital of the area the, and, and so the Sanhedrin Council would have ruled, San, and I'm giving you a little bit of background here, the Sanhedrin Council made up of 70 people with a high priest, made up of two groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The Sadducees, the Pharisees were ones who would keep a very conservative order of things. They were very... Uh, um, D.A. Carson says they were not as traditionalists as you think they were. They were kind of innovators. They were... Imagine like kind of a... If you can imagine... a. Um, they were very creative in what, how they tried to, to, to get the religious message out of the day. But the Sadducees were very political, very money-minded sometimes. And they fought. The Sadducees and the Pharisees fought continuously. As Jesus is walking around on this earth, interestingly enough, they come together. Remember when we invaded Iraq in a Persian war, Shiites and Sunnis, who hated each other, Bombed each other at their funerals, at their wedding, they would bomb each other's weddings when we invaded and, and went into the country. What happened? Shiites and Sunnis came together. So this religious council, a council, the Sanhedrin, made up of Sadducees, Pharisees. Sadducees did not believe in miraculous um, events. Uh, they didn't believe in resurrection. They send out this party of priests and Levites. Don't confuse these guys with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Priests. And Levites, the the priests were like there were thousands of these guys. These guys were your friends. If you were a Jewish family, you're a carpenter, you're a fisherman, you loved your priest. So don't think of like, you know, sometimes think immediately of some Easter pageant and a Christmas, or or Christmas pageant and a church where the guy's angrily walking around. That would have been a kind of description of the Pharisee or when the Sadducees. This these priests they and many of them would come to Christ later. You can see that in the Book of Acts. These priests were just normal in the trenches with you kind of guys. The Levites were their workers. They were people who did crowd control. They did setup. They did kind of you know kind of like the early intern of the day. You know what I mean? So here you have the the the, the priests and Levites. They are going from Jerusalem and they show up and they ask this question: Who are you? Who are you? They have no other purpose than to ask who are you and he looks at them and he's and he uh, listen to this answer listen to this answer this sounds like a riddle doesn't it, if you think about this but watch in verse 20 they're asking who are you look at the answer he gives he confessed and did not deny but confessed I am not the Christ I am not. I am. I am not. He is. He's basically saying this. You're asking who I am, but what does he say? He says, I am not the Christ. They did not come there asking about the Messiah. They come there asking, Who are you? What are you doing? Where are you coming from with this message? And I'll tell you why they were so enthralled and, and, and intrigued in just a second, but they're sitting there thinking, Who are you? He says, I'm not the Christ. He's the one who brings us up. Can you imagine? They're thinking, well, we didn't ask that question. <laughs> Why would you be bringing him up? He's, he's not calling him by his earthly name. He calls him by the, na- the Jewish name, the Hebrew name, the Messiah. Verse 21. And they ask him then, whoa, 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 so if you're saying not the Christ, what then? Are you Elijah? And he he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. What, why would they ask this? They're asking him, who are you? He says, I'm not the Christ. So now, these guys, these priests and Levites knew. Okay, they knew Old Testament. right? They knew the law. They knew what was said, that uh, the spirit of Elijah would come before the Messiah. So he says, I'm not the Messiah. Like, Well, then are you Elijah? Are you saying that? He says, No. They were thinking, well, you know, Elijah has to come. But if you read the scripture, it says the spirit of Elijah has to come. It's coming through this incredible message. And so he says, no, I'm not. And then look at verse 22. So they said to him, again, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So stop right here. All they have are denials. Denials. These guys have come from a long way away. I mean, a good distance. They've traveled multiple days. This story, by the way, is being told in three days. We're on first day here. We'll end with a second day next week. We start with a third day and talk about the disciples coming to Christ. So they said, oh, "No, okay, we know who you're not. We got that clear. But before we go back to Jerusalem and go in and say, well, he wasn't this and he wasn't that. They're going to want to know who were you. We can't go back with a list of denials. So, in verse twenty-three, he says, "I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord." He says this. I, I have a. I could give. I, I don't have a title. I don't have a position. There's. I. I don't have any formal education. My father was a priest. Had a great. I mean, a, a great learned man of God. I don't give you any of my lineage. I'm telling you I'm a voice. Can you imagine if we built a church based on this, making you a stronger voice? When you go to work, when you go to school, when you go anywhere, you are a voice. Not trying to make our name greater. So many times, if you're you're, you're not careful, you get caught up in the economics of how to build a church. Well, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to plan. This is what we're going to be. And then before you know it, what are you doing? You're building up a different voice. You're building up a voice away from what God would have you intend. And all of a sudden, you start to see where he's given us an example. We don't want you to be a personality-driven faith. We don't want this to be a personality-driven church. We don't want this church to be known as, that's where that person preaches. This is what this person does. These are the games that go. No, this is a church That represents and teaches how to be a voice. And what does that voice say? He says, I'm a voice and I'm here to tell you one thing. Make straight the way of the Lord. Make straight. What does he mean by that? In in, In the vernacular in which he's speaking, in the words he's choosing, he's basically given an illustration to say, I want you to do as the Roman road system did, which was to come in and make straight a path. Y'all remember life before interstates? Some of you, when when Eisenhower started building them, and you're thinking, I always heard the stories of my parents going up 41 to Georgia, and every 20 miles having a flat tire and stopping off at every alligator farm and whatever, you know. And then all of a sudden come the interstates. Well, the Roman road system. And don't think God was in shock about this. I mean, you know, when He's like, this is why the gospel just permeated in 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 the area was the Roman road system. He says, make straight the path of the Lord. Make this straight. And so, what we're thinking is this. When you take away from this message, you look at this. What is our role? Our role is not to be the shiniest church. Not to be the most creative church. To go even beyond the legacy and the tradition of great churches. To say that's a biblical bastion of the word. And, and it's a, that, that place is a bedrock of learning. It's to go beyond it. It's to say we're a voice. To make straight a path, how many times have we? Think about this. How many times have we of a church put things in your way? So many times. What we can do as a church, we can say, "Man, you know what? You need to. You need to get your kids out of athletics. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to. You know." Get rid of all those distractions. Get rid of all those trimmings that are holding you back, and you make straight the path of the Lord. I'm here to tell you, we as a church are keenly aware churches can get in the way of the Lord. Godly, evangelical, New Testament churches can say this. Where are you? Who say why weren't you there? Why you start to hear these legalistic voices coming out, and the reality is. Sometimes we as a church can get in the way. Our goal here, that's not like I'm yelling. I don't mean to yell. I just get excited about this. Our goal, in case you're wondering, you come here and think, who are you? What's the deal with this church? Our goal is to make you the voice, you the minister. For Pam, you, you to look at Colin on the way home and go, you know what? You're the godliest man I know. And I trust you. We want to make each home a successful ministry. Each person in here a voice. You know what that means? Make straight the path of the Lord. That means even we need to step out of the way sometimes. That means there are times you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to say, you know what we got to do? Amy, we're going kayaking today. Why? Because you know, Ray, the faith, the spiritual pulse of your family. And you know sometimes the best sermon you can get is going to be to love on your family. But so what do we do? We make the family second. We make the gospel second. We make the message second. John the Baptist is not saying, I want to deliver this message and be the one that says, I am John the Baptist. He says, I'm nothing, but I'm a voice. I'm a voice that says this, make straight the path of the Lord. And here we go. um, And he said, as the prophet Isaiah said, so he's, he's quoting Isaiah, verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And so he's, he's, again, he's laying this down. The writer, John, is saying, okay, the Pharisees are not going to take this answer very well because of who they are. Verse 25, they ask him, and this is, this is big, this is, a, this is one of those big nuggets to grasp, why then are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Why are you baptizing? This is important to, get, to, to, to grasp baptism did not begin when Jesus walked on this earth. We do this, right? And we baptize people. I've had the pleasure of dunking some of you in a lake. John the Baptist is not a Presbyterian. He's not sprinkling. Man, He's dunking them and splashing them and holding them down and bringing them up. And man, is this a new thing? No. But what is new is them asking this question, why are you baptizing? Why are you doing this? See, baptism existed before Jesus. Baptism was meant to be done when somebody who was a non-Jew became a Jew. So if you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, and you want to become Jewish, you would be baptized. It was an outward symbol to say, you're baptized, you're washed, washed away all that that old non-Jewish way of life, and now you're a Jew. So imagine this religious investigative research team coming down and looking and now being told we, we, we can't get out who this guy is other than say he's a voice and the Messiah is now here. And their whole existence has been waiting on that Messiah and now you're baptizing people. And so they're saying, Under, why are you baptizing? Why are you doing this? Jews don't get Baptized, you were baptized to become a Jew, and now he's out there baptizing Jews. This is a whole new thing, and there's. By the way, this whole new thing—the North and the South being like switched on the compass—the whole 180 is about to get a whole lot more new as well. They're trying to understand what's happening, and so he says, uh, "John answers them. I baptize with water, but among you stands one." You do not know. He says he stands here. You don't know him. Verse 27. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Again, when you talk about the Middle Eastern culture, let me get tossed out of a house real quick. Walk in with your shoes on. You know they don't like shoes in a house. A lot of people don't. Some of you lived in in Asia, and you know what that's like. You go over to seize me get those shoes off before you walk in there. They're filthy, they're dirty. you know um, George Bush was given a, a cop press conference uh several years ago, and one of the reporters threw his shoe at him, highly offensive. Moment, not just throw in a book at him through a shoe to say, the, you know how much he disdained who President Bush was. Uh, it's something that you would show. You would never show the back of your sandal to anybody. But to untie the sandal, to untie that, you wouldn't ask your kid to untie your sandal. That's something slaves did. And so when he says this, and he says, I- "I'm not even like." Even he who comes after me, the strap of sandal, I am, I am not even worthy to untie. Verse 28. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Okay, take a breath real quick. There's a lot going on. Side note, Bethany. In case of some of you who are self-proclaimed Bible geeks and scholars and think, is this where Mary Martha Lazarus came from? Different Bethany. Different Bethany. It's quite a ways away, 70 miles away. You know, like there's Lafayette, Georgia, Lafayette. Louisiana, they say them all differently, but anyway, you get it with a picture, right? There are many Bethany, so there's a different Bethany. The next day, verse 29, he saw Jesus coming toward him. So here, we're, we're day two, right? He sees Jesus coming toward him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30, we will keep reading. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me ready for this? Here it is. Because he was before me. Did you catch that? Because he was before me. Who was born before Jesus? John the Baptist. But yet John the Baptist refers to Jesus as the one who was before me. He's referring here to the eternality of Jesus. Remember we talked a couple weeks ago, Jesus was and is. Jesus, there was not a time when this world was created, Jesus already was. He's, already, he's stating proper theology. Oh, by the way, the one who came before me, that guy right there. But the greatest aspect of this was, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is his introduction. He doesn't say, this is the one we've been waiting on. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one who, who we've been expecting When you're described as a lamb of God, everybody there knew what a lamb meant in the religious circles. Every family at Passover would take a lamb, about a year old, and take it to the the church, a synagogue, the temple. You'd take it there, and the priest would get that lamb and inspect it and look at it. And the kids would inevitably not want to see it given up. And the lamb was killed and the lamb was sacrificed people their entire life saw this go on so i was in romania for an orthodox easter where they still carry out the tradition of goats and lambs being slaughtered and when they said the streets literally are full of blood no joke you walk through these villages it's just blood everywhere sending a sign and a signal that what this blood has done. So these people are—they're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're not unaccustomed um, to hearing what a lamb means when it comes to sacrifice. These kids who their whole life has been brought up with a lamb, a lamb—the whole year of looking at that animal, knowing it's going to die at the blade of a priest, as our way of saying. God, we love you and honor you. So when all of a sudden he says, Behold, everything stopped. It's the Lamb of God. All those sacrifices, all that bloodletting, all that killing is over done God has sent his perfect son without blemish to be the sacrificial lamb everything's new behold everything is new here's the son of here's the lamb of God here for our sins this was completely new to everybody and then you start to see as as, as scripture starts to unfold um, isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 says this he was oppressed this was written again hundreds of years before Uh, he was oppressed uh, before John the Baptist is talking here he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth here it's going to be a different lamb sacrifice the lambs that were presented to the priest were often coddled, and they were petting him, and he would ease the excitement and the tension and this very quickly and as humanely as they could in the life of the lamb that would not be the case for the Lamb of God, you know as well as I do that when he was tortured and he was brought before uh, before an, an execution squad when when he was when he was beaten to the point of not even being recognized. And yet he what? Remains silent. This Lamb of God, this sacrifice was all new. So, he goes on to read, um, uh, pick up verse 30 again. This is if he of whom I have said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. Verse 31, I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. For a point of clarity, like a dove, not a dove, could have been a parakeet, could have been a pigeon, it could have been anything, but it was like a dove. So in our, in our minds and imagery, sometimes we think it was a dove, but it came on a Spirit like a dove. And at this moment, there's just this, this incredible interaction and you can you can see in verse 33, which is interesting. He says, I myself did not know him. Jesus did not appear with a halo. There was not this glowing light around him. He says, I, I, I didn't know him. I didn't know I was the one. I mean, I couldn't recognize him. I didn't, myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34. And I have seen. And I have borne witness. This is the Son of God. Who gave him that authority? God gave him that authority. He looks at this and he thinks, man. I, um, his words are just flowing out of his mouth. This is day two and day three. You're about to see his disciples are going to come to him and say, "Okay, by the way, John the Baptist had disciples, right? He had followers. If you follow somebody, you're their disciple." And they said to him, uh, "John, like uh, who is who's who's this guy? This Jesus? This is the one?" He says, "Don't follow me. Follow him." And they did. He says to everybody, he "says Who are you?" He says, "I'm not the one you're looking for." I'm not it. I'm a voice. I'm a voice. And by the way, the Christ is coming. And they all expected this Messiah. They waited for him. And keep in mind, he John the Baptist was a prophet. He was the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament preacher. His first message is he's here. The second message is there he is. And he identifies himself constantly as the voice. And keep in mind, everybody has been waiting. It's been 400 years of silence. This wasn't like the old prophets of the other day when they could constantly tell you, well, I heard from God and God said do this and God said a plague's coming or God's going to move on this area and it happened. He walked into an inheritance of 400 years of nothing. Nothing. When your life expectancy is 28 years old, you know how many generations that is? Do you know how little credibility you have? Oh, but God, I'm a prophet by the... Yeah, thanks a lot. We've been through about 30 generations of you guys. And he says, behold, I give you not another messenger, no, not another wish, another desire, another command, another warning. I am giving you, behold, I give you the Messiah. Behold, I give you the Lamb of God. Behold, I give you the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. Behold, I give you The son of God. He threw every trump card he had out there. He's describing him in every possible way. He's leaving no room for misunderstanding. Because this religious council knew they represented a great amount of people. Who were expecting a messiah. Wanted a messiah to come. But they didn't want him described as a lamb. You better tell me my messiah is going to come down here like a lion. He's going to break the yoke of Roman law. He's going to rekindle our people. He's going to have a sword. He's going to come and he's going to inspire us. He's going to build us up in an army like David did. We're going to have the the golden reign like we had under Solomon. Give us that kind of Messiah. Give us that kind of a candidate. And how is he described? Not as a lion. Here's the lamb. He comes not to take you to a better place politically. Not to take you to a better place financially. He has come here... In spite of everything you wanted to give you everything you needed. And that is the forgiveness of your sins. When we get away from that message. We get away from the only God that there is. When we get away from that message. And when churches and when we, if we're not careful, start to go a different route. We have to be be reminded we are a voice. We're a voice. That means this may not be the only church for you. You know what churches are really good at doing? Having a great front door. You can walk in that front door. And they have a terrible back door where you can somehow leave. It's always you're in God's will if you come in, but you're out of God's will if you leave. (laughs) That's not a voice. You know what that is? That's getting in the way of the path of the Lord. That means anything in your life, the clutter, the mental, physical, emotional clutter... Of your life that's preventing you from getting to the Lord, start to look at that, start to pray about that. And then help us, we as a church, remove any spiritual clutter that we give you to put an obstacle in your path. Don't want you to be the best small group leader. We want you to know the Lord more than anyone. All of us who are pastors. And we've got a little something we can stick on our wall, but it doesn't, it doesn't make us any godlier than you. We just get the privilege of being up here and opening this book. We might as well be a homeless ministry, and all of us just get up here telling you where we found some food around the corner. You know, We, may, we need to be a voice. All of us, collectively. But we're collectively stronger if you are made individually stronger. Then we equip you. If it means we as a church don't look as grand, but your home looks greater, then that's it. Always, had, I, I, I think about how many times in my life I screwed up and I messed up. I don't know if we opened up a college ministry years ago. And man, did that thing look incredible when we opened. We didn't know what we were doing. We had a garage band. You know, I got up there and said, God loves you and yabba you know, And people came. People came, they, they, they flocked in there. We had to rent out a, a hotel room on campus at Embassy Suites. and I mean, there were days, five, six, seven hundred college students. We started at nine o'clock at night. Which means I didn't start preaching until almost ten. I can't even fathom that day, you know. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know what, I'll walk out of there. I mean, confession, I'm just confessing. I graduated from this, so don't hold me down on the ground. I was like moonwalking out of there like Michael Jackson. because man, we had five or six, seven hundred people there. And Then you go to Ebor on a Friday night. And there's a quarter of a million down there, paying fifteen dollars a head to get in a bar that they can't even see or hear their friends. And I'm sitting here thinking, I got the greatest message. The guy, the, the God who breaks cancer, the guy, the God that gives hope, the God that, that 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 says death is over for the believer. And I'm sitting there, relatively speaking, excited about our mission. And as you get older, you realize. The greatest successes that we could ever have is one by one by one. Bob and Martha, you doing premarital counseling will get more victories sometimes than ever a message could be delivered in a church. Why? Because you're taking the time one by one to share the victory, to make the home a voice, to make straight the path of the Lord. That's where victory is found. That's the measure of success we want here. And that's the measure of success we want from you. So, our goal is this that your home to be the best home. Your home to be the one where the hero is not the guy that the pastor is preaching that you tweet or you quote, but your friend or your family that has impacted you the hero. May we be a church that makes straight the path of the Lord, and may we not get in the way. May we not antistop, may we stop anticipating the Messiah to be different than the one he is. And I close with this to tell you that if you think the crowd is any different in the year twenty six or twenty seven in which this was written, than it is now, it's not. There are two crowds there. There are the faithless and there are the faithful. There were people expecting a Messiah to look a certain way. And to this day, people expect the Messiah to be a certain way. And that's why we rent a bus and we gather people together and we stop off and eat ice cream and that. Is because, you know what, we want people to see the Messiah we worship. And ha- who we are. And how we act. And the fact is, when they walk on, they think, yeah, this wasn't a legalistic freak show I thought was going to happen. This wasn't the place that was going to beat me up and say you better start believing or start burning. This is not the place that always existed that told me I couldn't drink, couldn't dance, couldn't do that. And the, 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 Lord, the, 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 the Ten Commandments of Not Do's. It's the commandment of it, it's it's the beauty of Christ and understanding through truth and grace. We worship a Savior, a Messiah that is still beyond our imagination, a Messiah that goes against all the parades and all the gatherings and all. How many people are gathered together to say this Messiah is to be called a lamb? And the great and the man that Jesus said is the greatest man that ever lived, a man John the Baptist, who is mentioned eighty-four times in the Bible. He doesn't even call himself a position. Doesn't have a big home. Doesn't have any possessions. It says, I'm just a voice. That's the kind of faith we have. This is why John the Baptist said, if I'm a voice and he's a lamb, surely you who live in Carrollwood or Wesley Chapel or Land the Lakes, certainly you can make straight the path of the Lord to your heart and to your mind. And see what happens when God allows you to be a voice. Because when you get a voice... You get a purpose. When you get a purpose, you get the promise. And that is just, that's all I can give you. I'm excited about this book. I'm very excited about the study. You can't help but think of the book of John and not get pumped up. I mean, you've got to be a louse of a preacher if you, if you blow this stuff, right? I mean, this is it. But remember, you're the preacher. You're it. You're the voice. Don't wait for us to digest all the scripture for you. You got it, you got it right there. That Holy Spirit, that's a real deal. It's a real thing. He'll give you clarity. He'll give you understanding. He'll give you that ability. Remember, you're going to be the greatest minister you ever knew. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given us the opportunity to come to you collectively as a group. But Father, we also thank you for the opportunity we have to go home with you individually. Father, thank you for this place that we get to rally around each other in this assembly of believers and encourage each other. Thanks for each person's role. Father, thank you for church who wants to dig in deeper. And Lord, we, we, we thank you for what's going to happen starting this Thursday with the bridge, with apologetics and getting that moving. But Lord, we just mostly thank you for you. Lord, of all the titles you could have given yourself, of all the descriptions that could have been given over, that you identified yourself with a pure, innocent, small lamb, sacrificed. You had the right, the honor, and the privilege of coming here in any way you wanted and showing us what needed to be done. You didn't choose that path. You yourself made straight the path to us. It's not much to ask to straighten our path to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.